This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. Tuesday nights under the lights, the spotlight for Sky, as Callum Wright and Ryan Hardy earn Argyle their 16th win at home park this season. However, another slump on the road saw us fall to a 3-0 defeat at the hands of the Tykes. Michael Cooper isn't the only one signing on the dotted line this week, as we've joined the TalkSport fan network. If everything is set up correctly, you'll already know that from the intro, but here's hoping it will allow us to elevate our output even further. And a huge thank you to all that listen, engage and share the pod. Without further hesitation, joining me this week are the Simon Jordan to my Jim White, Joe Bell. Evening. The Barry Glenn Denning to my Max Rushton, Sam Down. Good evening. The Hawksby to my Jacobs, John Alsop. I for one welcome our new TalkSport overlords. And of course, the Laura Woods to my Ali McCoist, Dan Ellard. Hello. I think that's enough talk sport quick for now. I think we should just start with the positives. Obviously, the 2-1 win over Connor Hurahan's Derby County. Who wants to run us through this one first? Dan? I will indeed. Despite the number of points that we've won from losing positions throughout this season, you could have thought at halftime in that Derby game that it was going to be another one of those and we definitely come back, but I, I wasn't massively positive thinking that at halftime because I thought Derby had done a very solid job on keeping us quiet. Our our game plan of trying to get Ryan Hardy in behind and stretching their back three wasn't working at all. Um, I think they pressed us really well. We were we were kind of trying to play from quite deep and also playing into the wind, which I think is a is a factor worth mentioning because we just couldn't get it high up the pitch enough for, for Hardy to run in behind. So they really kind of boxed us in, penned us in, um, got their goal. And it was it was looking like it was going to be a long night. And and to come back from that in the second half to make the tactical change to go 4-2-3-1, and to make the right subs to bring on, in particular, Jay Mateto, who I'm sure we'll talk about some more on this pod uh, tonight. And um, to get two... Goals which could be argued as being a bit fortuitous, but in general, fully deserve to win the game, I think, in overall. Um, so it was a, a, a fantastic win, a really, really important win 
that not only put another three points on our tally, but pretty much, I'd say, um, knocked another rival out of contention for the top two. I mostly agree with Dan, certainly about how excellent we were second half. I was actually a little bit more, well, actually quite a bit more positive about the first half. Losing. We didn't have many clear openings, but I felt we were just a fraction. There were a couple of balls that were just a fraction too loose or too heavy that, that very nearly came off that would have put us in a great position. We had a, a couple of little half chances even in the first half. So even in the first half, I, I think I said at half time and it, um, that, I, that I felt confident we wouldn't lose the game. Certainly not necessarily that we would come back and win, but I felt confident that we wouldn't lose the game even at half time, particularly with how good we were in the second half. Uh, was absolutely fantastic. I think 4-2-3-1 is not a formation we've played much at all under the low slash Schumacher era, but it makes actually more sense now than it probably has in a long time because we have three players who are all very, very capable at playing that role in behind the striker and it's Nav's Mayor and Wright are all three of them interchanged brilliantly during that fantastic second half run. Uh, obviously Wright scored the goal and Advance, uh played through nicely to Hardy who then won a penalty. Uh, so I think Really, really was a, a brilliant uh, tactical shift. Uh, what was it, John said last week that Schumacher, one of the best managers in the country in game changes. That point was just exemplified perfectly in how well he changed the game against Derby. It showed big mental character and, and fortitude to do that. Roared on by the crowd, one of the best atmospheres I've heard at home park in such a long time. Even block one was, was bouncing up and down and, and clapping and cheering and singing. Um, and we just left that game in such a great sort of feel-good mood and, and having knocked one uh, club out of the automatic promotion picture, we kind of hoped to go and then do that same thing again on Saturday. And yeah, well, we'll move on to that later. Yeah, going through this chronologically then, quite a few online suggesting that Callum Burton was at fault and he should be doing better for the Mendes Lang goal. Personally, I thought he'd done quite well there, not helped by obviously Lombard stepping up too late. Anybody, anybody agree, disagree? Fully agreed. It was it's fine margins, isn't it? And that we've got to credit the opposition. That through ball from McGoldrick was, was the overhead kick through ball was absolutely astonishing to to give him credit. Of course, Lonvike stepped up a fraction too late, and those fine margins meant that Mendes Lang was onside. I think Burton was a little unlucky. I mean, he he gets to the edge of his area. I don't think he can come out any further, you know, because obviously, obviously, if he comes out any further, he can't use his hands. So that was unavoidable. And yeah, it's he, he makes a decent first save and then it just kind of spins back towards Mendes Lang and then he taps it in. So I wouldn't say um, Burton can really be faulted. Um, the very easy thing to do at the minute, and I'm, I suspect we'll do this when talking about the Barnsley game as well, is looking at each of them and going, how would Cooper have done there? How would Cooper have, would Cooper have saved that? It's not really a fair metric, is it? When Cooper's the best of best keeper in League One, um, so I think um, a little bit unlucky for Burton on that on that occasion. I when I first saw, her, I thought it was a, a, a real error because I think he sort of came out and opened up a bit too much of his goal. Watching it back again, the more I see it, the more I'm starting to soften on that stance. I still think he sort of hesitates a little. I still think he sort of comes and doesn't fully come. And I think the reason behind that is very much what Dan said. If he goes much further, he can't really use his hands. But I think he didn't quite time when he left his line perfectly. I think if he'd, if he'd have left his line a little later, he would have been in a position to, to come out as, as, he was, as the player was sparing to shoot without necessarily having to leave his box. And I think if he'd have possibly not come out at all, he would have been able to cover more of the goal line. So I think he was kind of uh, stuck between sort of two extremes and, and didn't, really choose either but I'm being I'm being I'm being harsh he still nearly saves the one-on-one whether Cooper would have saved it 
is not the the primary issue on that. Yeah, not not a major error. I've been wrong before. I might be wrong again, but I, I believe it's our fourth time on Sky this season. Fourth time we've gone one nil down. Fourth time we've gone on to win. Drew the Cheltenham game. We went on to win. Drew the Cheltenham game. We're also leading the EFL with goals from subs this season. Uh, 16 now in total. And it's almost like we change systems every half time, apart from Barnsley, but we'll get on to that. Why can't we set up and play like that in the first half? Why do we always leave it to the second? I think because often, um, I think it's a, it's a fairly kind of modern approach um, that we've seen from Adams to an extent, more so Ryan Lowe, and definitely with Schumacher, that you kind of play out the first 20 minutes a little bit kind of cautiously and, and you kind of work your way into the game and you don't go absolutely gung-ho. There were times under Ryan Lowe, certainly in the COVID um, behind closed door season, when we come flying out of the traps and go on the up and then lose the lead because we'd almost look like we just exerted so much on the first 45 minutes or hour of a game. We couldn't keep that going. Um, so I think this strategy in general of start slowly, finish stronger and utilise our subs and utilise the um, physicality of players that we've got off the bench against tired legs is, is a pretty good way to go. And that's proven in the um, number of points from losing positions we've got this season. We're very quick to jump on refs when questionable decisions go against us. So it's only right that we do it when they go for us as well, right? Obviously, Azaz winning the penalty for Hardy to slot away. Personally, I think that's incredibly soft and we've got the rub of the green there, right? I think it's a penalty. I've seen it again on slow-mo. I, I, think, I think it's a penalty. That's not just biased because I will admit when I think, when, when I think decisions go wrongly in our goal's favour, I think it's actually good refereeing. Um, I think if, if the Zaz doesn't go flying down, the, the impact still knocks him enough away from the ball to not be able to follow on and get to the ball. So what are we saying? Is it just that players can, can clip attacking players' feet and, um, and, and not have any, have any repercussions from it? So, so no, I, I think it's better look at soft contact, but soft can still be enough to do it. And look, whether there is a wider philosophical debate to be had about whether such a minor foul that has a minor impact inside the penalty box should result in a penalty is is another debate in itself and it's one that people are having in football generally but by the current primitives of the law it is a foul it occurred inside the penalty box it is a penalty in my opinion it's very soft for me very very soft i have seen them given and i wouldn't quite stretch to say if that's outside the box that never gets given because let's be honest some efl refs like to uh the moment a player hits the deck uh blow the whistle but there's just not enough in it for me. And I take your point, Sam, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I suspect a lot of our fans, had that gone the other way um, and cost us something in the game, would have been decidedly unimpressed. It's The the contact is potentially there, but is it enough for him to to go down on the retro water pen? I don't think so. Not for me. I, I would say that one thing I often look at with this kind of thing is player reactions. Obviously, not that, so, not that that's a golden rule because some teams will just absolutely appeal for anything and everything, but player reactions are often big. The one very tangible observation I noticed is that a lot of their players started surrounding the ref and complaining. One who did not was the one who gave away the penalty. He just sort of slunked off looking quite uh, abashed with himself, and I think that tells a bit of a story. It's about time we got a bloody decision, isn't it? It does balance itself out with the the, the Charlton, yeah, the Charlton handball. It's it's no consolation to Derby fans, but we didn't get a Stonewall penalty at the weekend. 
And, you know, it's just law of averages that it had to even out eventually. We haven't got many decisions in this respect all season. And, you know, we got one on Tuesday night. For what it's worth, for my tuppence, I think it's very soft. I couldn't believe it. At the time, I thought it was a stonewall penalty. Um, but then I was 60 yards down the other end of the ground. But when you see it back, it's, there's not enough there for me. Um, I'm quick to criticise referees when decisions go against us. Um, so I feel it's equally right I criticise referees when we get a decision for us. I agree with Sam on this, actually, which means it's a two to two split. And Aaron, the host, is going to have the deciding vote on whether it's a penalty or not. Look, I, I in the ground thought, well, I didn't really, I mean, I couldn't massively see it in the ground. So it was a bit agnostic. Uh, as Dan will uh, affirm, I was actually in hospitality on Tuesday night, as was he, and saw it on the big screen on Sky. And as soon as I saw the replay on Sky, I was like, uh, well, Joe's making a, a champagne flute gesture. You know, we're, fu- we're funded by TalkSport these days, mate. We're going up in the world. Um, but uh, no, Dan, Dan, Dan saw me, uh, I think, across the table and um, I was like, oh, no, he's absolutely dived. That's never a pen. Um, but then, you know, once once my champagne headache had gone in the morning, I looked at it again a couple of times. And I think it is a penalty. I think it's very clear contact. I think he's moving at pace and he's, you know, a player who is kind of uh, is, has a delicate kind of balance about him. I think it's enough to go over. And, and contrary to Dan's point, I actually think that that's a foul that's almost 10, 10 out of 10 times would get given anywhere else on the pitch. I think it's a it's a trip. Um, every referee is going to give that outside the box. Inside the box, again, it's, it's sort of to Sam's point to have some referees internalised a higher standard for penalty decisions by that metric. You know, could you say it was soft? I certainly think he went over looking for it. No question about that. But that doesn't make it not a penalty. Um, and yeah, my final word on this, to answer Joe's point quickly about it being no consolation to Derby fans is, I think this conversation's a bit irrelevant So I think we'd have won the game anyway. We were absolutely on fire. We were charging at them. It was a matter of time until we scored and that was how we scored. But if that hadn't been given, we'd have kept going, we'd have kept going and we'd have, we'd have got the win. We, we battered them in the second half. For me, it's, it's one of the best performances I have ever seen from Argyle since, since Jay Matete came on. I think it was that good and I think we'd have won the game anyway. Uh, but I would still like to hear Aaron's uh, tie-breaking comment on, on the penalty, yay or nay. No, I think it is. I think it is. I think it's incredibly soft. I think... Looking back at it on Sky from the, the camera view from the Denport end at the ref's angle, you can see White diving in um, and it looks a pen from the ref's angle as well. So I'll go with it. It's soft, but 3-2 win to the penalty. Yes, Brigade. Uh, the only thing I was going to add is obviously, John, you touched on it there. Second half changes, Matete, right. can't remember who else they came on, but obviously those changes were in- incredible, right? Best manager in the EFL or, or whatever you called Schumacher last week. Yeah, I think after some uh, points had been consumed, I said he was one of the best managers in the country for in-game changes. Um, and without having a detailed knowledge of every other team, I think that I would generally say he's at least very, very good at that. Um, I, I, in my post-match ratings, player ratings, which we do after um, after games and share them between ourselves, gave Matete a 10 out of 10. And that is not something I do really at all, even though my marks are generally start from a higher baseline than the, the miserly uh, Dan Ellard and Sam Down scores that players will often receive. Um, but but you know, having said that, I'm no Chris Errington either. Um, 10 out of 10 has to be a basically flawless performance. And Matete was that. And not only flawless, it has to add something positive, like hugely positive. And I've never seen one player, one player's introduction change a game as much, I don't think, in, in, in all my years as an Argyle fan. Um, we went from looking a bit on the back foot, a bit nervous, a bit sluggish and hesitant in that midfield to being immensely on the front foot. He won the ball back. He moved it up the pitch. I mean, is that sort of movement forward for the goal where he makes one of their players and then just rolls it into 
I think Azazu rolls it into right, who scores is is masterful. Um, I think some of his performances recently, Matete, have been a bit uneven, but there's a reason we were raving about him when he came in, right? And its performance is exactly like like that one. And I think that was just the the kind of zenith of the performances he's put in of, of that nature. I thought he was absolutely spectacular. Um, and, and, you know, obviously a lot of credit must go to, to Shuey for, for, I think, you know, I was, you know, not to blow my own uh, champagne flute or anything, but I was um, saying about 10 minutes before Matete came on, I think also at halftime, actually, you know, we need Matete in this game because we need to, he is, he is a championship quality player who can go toe to toe with the championship quality players in Derby squad and, and thrust us up the pitch. So credit to Shuey, I think, who I think also saw that, but, you know, sometimes a player just puts in an absolute madness of a performance and, and Matete did that on Tuesday night. I thought he was unbelievable. And Callum Wright as well. I wouldn't necessarily quite give him a 10 out of 10, but he got close. I thought he was buzzed around majestically and, and really caused them a lot of problems. So, um, yeah, really positive changes on, on Tuesday night. To go from that on Tuesday to the trip to Oakwell, just to bring us back down to earth, who wants to run us through that one first, Joe? I want to hear John's thoughts before I wade in. Go on then, John. Off you go again. Okay. Uh, So, first and foremost, uh, I would like to congratulate Barnsley's ground staff on a boring point for getting the game on on what looked to be an absolutely exceptional pitch. How much do you wish that was called off now, in hindsight? Uh, I don't. I don't wish it was called off uh, at all because... And this actually will tie into my general answer as as to how I saw our, our... maybe not our performance, but how I see the game in, in terms of its importance in our season. I came on this podcast last week and when I was asked if I thought Derby and Barnsley would be defining games for our season, I said no, um, because we built up enough of a, a little head start over the chasing pack and our running is kind enough that we could just get those games out of the way, put them in the rearview mirror, and then we've got a 10-game mini-league against teams that are all almost all in the bottom half of the table. Um, I said that it would potentially be season-defining if we won both games, Obviously, we didn't win both games, but we did win one of them, which is better than one point or zero. Hugely, hugely better than one point or zero, obviously. Um, so I think for me, if you'd offered me three points from those two games, and certainly if you'd offered me six points from Charlton, the Charlton Derby um, Barnsley week after that Peterborough mauling, I would have, you know, bitten your hand off before you could finish uh, finish getting the offer out. So, so, so for me, I think that the bigger picture is positive, and I think, and I think to answer your question, Aaron, about whether I wish it had been called off or not. Obviously, it could, the result couldn't really have gone any worse. But I think that if it had been called off, Sam might correct me here, but as far as he is aware, and we were talking about this on the way up to the game, the only time it could have been rearranged would have been the final week of the season. So it would have become our penultimate game of the season, I believe. Correct. There was no other viable slot. That's correct. Obviously, you have to play all the game, all the teams twice, and the games will fall at some point, and that's, that's a thing. I would not have wanted to go into that fixture basically in a, in a straight shootout with them for the top two. I think, and I think that having that looming on the horizon is potentially something that could have been psychologically difficult for the players, psychologically distracting. I don't know exactly how they operate mentally, of course. I can't, I can't speak to what's in their heads. But for me, as a, just as a fan, the fact that we have now played all of the top six twice, for me, is a huge weight off our shoulders. And it means we can go into those final games and we've got a clean run of games. Um, against teams that we should be expected to be. And obviously we're not going to win all of them. We're probably not going to win all of them. But, uh, you know, we've got these games in the rear view now. And I, th- I just think from a sort of psychological lift perspective, that's huge. I would not have wanted this kind of, this potential of kind of a straight shootout for the top two carrying over into the final game of the season. Which brings me on to the game itself. And I thought that, uh, I think Joe is going to be very negative about this. If my understanding of his uh, pre-match comment, uh, pre-podcast comments is correct. Um, 
I thought there was not a lot in the game, honestly, uh, until until they certainly until they scored the first goal. Um, and I think that it certainly overall was not a three nil game. You can maybe make a case for a two nil. Uh, I thought we probably deserved to lose the game about one nil or two one. Um, I think that the first half was pretty. I, I, I was fearing that we would get a Peterborough style mauling in the first half, that they would come out, come after us with real aggression, um, try and tear into us and expose some holes at the back. They didn't really do that. Um, obviously, they did score an early goal that was chalked off for an offside. So maybe things would have been different if that had been allowed. But I felt we actually got a pretty good foothold in the game in the first half. Um, I felt that we we created some nice movement going forward. Um, and then came the decisive moment of the game, which was a few seconds into the second half when Ryan Hardy, who ran through and scored in the opening seconds of the second half against Charlton last weekend, had the opportunity to do exactly the same and fluffed his lines. And I think the first goal was always going to be hugely important in that game. If that had gone in, could have been a completely different story. As it was, I felt we still were competitive and scrappy. And then they scored, and I think it just changed the dynamic of the game in a way that we we either couldn't or didn't really respond to. I'm not going to defend the performance after after we went 1-0 down for that last half an hour. I felt we didn't show enough urgency. We didn't show enough quality for whatever reason. Um, obviously, when they scored the second, it killed the game. But but I don't think we deserve to, to lose that game 3-0. I don't think there was a three-goal difference between those, those teams. Um, I felt that it was a pretty even game, and, and we came out on the wrong side of it because of the fact that we had a glorious opportunity to open the scoring and, and sort of dictate the, the trajectory of the game ourselves and didn't take it. They got there. I mean, they also had a glorious opportunity that they, that they missed. I should clarify shortly before they did score, but they did get that opening goal with, a, I think, a goal that was just a really well-worked, very nice strike into the bottom corner for all that Sam Down was screaming in my ear about it being a Callum Burton howler, I believe that. Even he has retracted that opinion now uh, and, 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 and assessed that it was a very good shot into the bottom corner from the edge of the box. So... You know, I don't think we shot ourselves in the foot with that goal particularly. And then, yeah, after that, I felt we were not good enough, certainly. I'm not, I'm not going to say that we were after that moment in the game, but I think sometimes you've got to give the opposition credit. Um, and I think that that is the dictionary, you know, textbook definition of doing a job on a team, what, what they did to us. Got that goal, squeezed out the game, squeezed the life out of us, and, and they went on to win it. Just to quickly interject on one point of clarity before Joe gives his take on the game. Yeah. I, I, I was watching from the far end, having had a, probably a couple of drinks as well. Categorically wrong, not a Burton error, fantastic strike. Uh, so I kind of wish that view hadn't ever been put on the podcast, otherwise I wouldn't have to retract it, as I clearly then changed my mind the very second I saw it back. But seeing as it has to be put on there, I have to clarify the record. So muting myself now and back over to Joe. Well, I think most away fans were watching from the far end, weren't they? I mean, I'm getting pretty fed up with Yorkshire and away days now, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, on John's point, I I understand and I take in every point he's made. Um, the first half, I thought, was pretty flat for both sides, if I'm, if I'm honest. I was amazed at how much Barnsley allowed us to play in that first period. We had a lot of time on the ball very similar to the first half of the Derby game. I felt that we had a lot of time on the ball and we didn't really do anything with it. For the life of me, I can't understand why Derby's goal was chalked off. I can understand why Barnes' goal was chalked off. Can you? Yeah, well, not Dar- Derby didn't score on Saturday, did they, against us anyway? Well, they scored three against Oxford, but you're correct. I, I can't... Why was Barnes' goal chalked off? It flicked off, I believe, it flicked off one of their players who was impeding Burton's view, is my understanding. Alleg- alle- allegedly for offside, but he, he was not offside. It was a bad decision. And he was miles on. 
excellent because I was stood right behind Callum Burton and I wouldn't have thought he was impeding him. So that clears that one up. I thought we were very fortunate that that was disallowed. Um, from there on in, I actually thought we had the better of the first half. I thought we looked, we carried a bit more of a threat first half when we actually got in behind. I think we had a little moment there, didn't we, where Hardy got a shot into the side netting or something. And um, I thought Mikhail Miller put in some wonderfully devilish balls in the first half and we just couldn't get on the end of them. And you're thinking, right, second half, you know, we're we're in the game. We're Barnsley aren't really in our faces as much as I thought they would be. Hardy misses the chance. We don't need to go over old ground with that, um, only because I'll end up going grey. And, and what concerns me and what angers me quite deeply is how easy it became for Barnsley in the second half. From the moment they got a foothold in that half, every time they ran at us, we were all over the place. We were all at sea, sixes and sevens. Uh, for the, I couldn't understand the substitution of James Wilson to bring on Joe Edwards. Um, didn't understand that at all. And for, it was just a catalogue of errors from there. Our passing became lazy. Our movement off the ball became sloppy and abject. Our decision-making when in possession and out of possession was poor. But what frightens me was how, in my opinion, how we went out like a light after Barnsley scored the first goal. We carried nothing after that. Nothing at all. Heads dropped. It became all too simple. Um, and that's what really angered me yesterday. Dan, obviously you were there and Joe doesn't want to talk about it, but that Ryan Hardy miss, obviously we praised him last week, 150-odd games in green, 49 league goals now. Or oh, 49 goals, sorry, not league goals. Could have been his 50th. How much does that change the game if he, if he puts that to bed? Well, we're not the type of team like with the, there's been Argyle teams of the past I'm thinking mainly kind of John Sheridan era where first goal would be absolutely critical for us you know if if we got that first goal we'd normally win if we went behind we'd normally lose now it's a bit more flexible but I think there's a fair chance we would have got something out of the game uh, maybe only a point but we we could well have got something out of the game if if he puts that away um but we didn't um, to kind of follow on from um, a point from from Joe about um, after after Barnsley scored, I thought there was the, quite a contrast. And you can say how well we played um, against Derby and you can say how poorly we played at Barnsley, but a real contrast in those two teams and how they played after they went ahead. Um Derby reminded me a lot of Argyle under Adams the first season when we basically didn't have the mentality to get promoted, to be to be honest. Um, they scored and then they stopped. Um, they didn't show any desire to get a second goal um, and didn't look to be able to kind of cope with the with the pressure of, of leading. Um, Barnsley's goal obviously came a bit later on um, in, in relation to... Um, how long was how long was gone in the game? Um, but they, um, with the caveat as well that they were at home. But they once they scored, they were rampant. They were all over us, and they you could sense they just wanted to get a second goal, kill the game off. Three points, thank you very much. It was a real contrast in in um, mentalities, and and I think when you look at um, the the playoff slash promotion race. Um, it's I, I'd be backing Barnsley a lot more than Derby based on um, based on that. Not just the fact that they beat us and Derby didn't, and they've got a few more points on the board. 
Um, Barnsley, to me, looked like a much more solid, resolute side um, than than Derby do at the minute. Conversely, I wasn't wowed by them, you know, overall in the game. I felt Derby at their best on Tuesday were better than Barnsley at their best on Saturday. I think I, I do agree with Dan's point that Barnsley's approach to the game was more ruthless. Obviously, they won the game and Derby didn't against us. But in the first half against Derby, when they were kind of pushing for that first goal and then they got it, I was like, this is a team stocked with championship players. They are scarily good. And that, that was how I felt about Derby's performance in, in the first half. As much as I didn't think in the first half against Derby, we were up to much. Barnsley, I was sort of expecting them to come out and batter us early doors. As I said, I felt it was, again, I felt it was a pretty even game. And then I think on paper, they have got better players than us. So I wasn't I wasn't massively awed by them. But yeah, I think what Dan says fundamentally is right. I think they showed better mentality and more confidence and, and a better approach to the game. And yeah, that's that's why I think they, they ended up with a different result to, to what Derby did against us. But I think, make no mistake, if Derby had scored a second goal after that, Mendes Lang won, I think it would have been a, a very, very difficult evening for us. And obviously, yeah, it was their choice to, I think, to not go on and try and kill the game. Barnsley did. And unlike Derby, didn't let us have that that kind of moment to sort of settle into the game, change the system and, and build our way back into it. And I think sometimes you just have to credit credit them and, and credit their manager, Super Michael Duffy. Joe? Don't. I, I'm bored of that. I, I disagree totally. I didn't think Barnsley were any good. I give them credit for the fact that they punished us, but I wouldn't necessarily categorise them as one of the better sides that we've played we've bumped into them when they're on a really confident run they had their tail between the legs when they got the first goal but I just keep coming back to it it was all our own undoing they've scored a lovely strike from Phillips it's a powerful header the free kick's a lovely strike but is it in the box is it out the box who cares I also disagree with John that I think 3-0 flattered Barnsley I don't think it did I think actually if anything it might have flattered our second half performance personally you can't seriously we deserve to lose that game more than 3-0. It was, it was, it was even until the 60th minute. We, we missed the clearest chance of the game up to that point. You don't, you're like, even if you do think that we deserved a spanking and we're awful in the final half an hour, 3-0 is ample. Over the 90, I, over the 90, I think, I think 2-3-0 two, two is, is about where it was for me. Because I, I think the first half we edged, uh, we, 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 we weren't, but then... Really, then it was more the first twenty-five. They kind of the next twenty of the first half. We we weren't very good. Admittedly, they weren't they weren't that good either in that spell. It was a bit of a dull spell for the game. But the first half, I would say, we maybe fractionally edged on balance. Um, the second half, we obviously had that great chance, literally fifteen seconds into the half, and after that, it was it was just incredibly, incredibly one-sided. So. Whether you say how you know what 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 goals, whether it was two or three, you know, I can quibble over that. But ultimately, all three of them were were actually excellent goals. Um, the first was that was a fine fine strike, and it was contrary to my initial opinion, right in the corner. The second was a was it was a very powerful header, no stopping it really. And the third was actually give credit to them, one of the best free kicks I've seen in a in, in a very long time in the flesh because it was. It was hit with great power. It got up over the wall and down and nestled perfectly into the corner where it would be pretty much impossible for even the best keepers in the world to, to get a hand to it. It was that perfectly in the corner. Um, so I think, yeah, three absolutely fine goals by them. And, and even if they didn't quite show the swashbuckling, dazzling pack, pack, you know, patterns of play that Derby did at times, often you'll find that it's resilient and organised teams with real moments of quality that that win promotion rather than the teams that kind of impress most with their their phases of play. And I think if Barnsley do go on to win promotion ahead of Derby and hopefully not ahead of ourselves as well, but certainly if they go on to win promotion ahead of Derby, that will be a 
a sign of, of, of why they did in, in terms of the differences of how the two teams played against Argyle. Let's take a break there. Roll the ads. Joe, any uh, backtracking on your assumption of Barnsley? Very good. Uh, yes, there is a bit of backtracking. Um, I'm big enough to accept when I perhaps make an error when I'm in full rant mode. When I say I wasn't impressed with Barnsley and I don't see them as one of the better sides we've played this year, what I'm trying to get at is I I do think we made it incredibly easy for them second half. Um, and there were a couple of players who really stood out to me in their performance. I thought the three centre-halves, Kitchen, Anderson and Thomas, didn't allow us anything through the game, really. I thought they were very good. And I also want to praise Adam Phillips, who had a very good stint at Morecambe. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, got his move to Barnsley and it's, it's just a lovely goal, isn't it? I think the three Barnsley goals were the three bits of real quality in the game. Um, I do accept John's point from his assumptions that there wasn't a great amount in the game. There really wasn't. And up to the hour mark, it was a really good game of League One football. But my overall view on it is that our second half performance wasn't good enough and I can allow for teams outplaying us, outthinking us, etc. But I can't allow teams out battling us. And I just felt we were out battled. We didn't put up much of a fight, particularly after the first goal went in. And that's the really disappointing aspect of the afternoon was that we seemed, I don't want to use the, I'm not going to say that they gave up because they didn't, but we, lost a real edge which we haven't done in many games this year when we have gone behind we've always battled back even at peterborough we went i mean look at look how many times we went back that day and yet we were still trying to get back into the game at no point saturday after hardy missed that chance 20 seconds into the second half did i ever think we were going to score and that's really really frustrating harsh on the wayne train you had a great pile driver shot well saved by their keeper in all fairness about the Wayne train, he was the one player in the last 20 minutes. I know he came on with a very short space of time to go. He did not stop running. He threw himself into a couple of tackles on the touchline. To be fair to him, he was the one player in that last 20 minutes I'd actually give credit to. The rest of them, I will It's becoming a bit of a labour of love watching us on the road, right? In, in the fact that like we're seeing the same themes away from home every week. Obviously, Sam, you mentioned earlier that their second goal was an unstoppable header. It isn't. It's just appalling defending. Absolutely madness. Edwards is just more interested in pulling down his man. Uh, the Both wing-backs for me were non-existent. Both tens non-existent. But it, I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'll get abused for it. 
just feels like we're rushing everything. We've got players there that can play. And it feels to me like we're just pumping balls up. The same happened when Wayne came on, just pumping balls up to him, pumping balls up to Hardy when we know he can't do that. Skip ahead to a Twitter question. Matty H says, We all know Shuey likes to attack teams. But away from home, would we be better suited to a more compact, defensively-minded setup and look to counter teams with our pace? Now only one league away all year. Yes, I think we absolutely would. Um, it's perhaps less adventurous and less exciting to play a kind of a, a steady back four and, and a bit more of a compact um, centre-mid shape. But it would be effective. And our away form... We're still fourth in the league and on away points in like the away league table. So you can't say we're a bad away team. We're certainly not. But six away wins out of, I believe, 18 now in the league is a little bit of a worry. If we continue to slip up away from home as the season draws to an end, that is going to start to put a lot of pressure on our home games. I know our home record's brilliant at the minute and we haven't got particularly tough opposition um, in the final five. But the pressure will be right on us. And I think um, this Saturday, for example, is a huge game because we are not just favourites to win, but this is an absolute, we should turn up and we should win this game. That's going to put, a pre- that's going to put pressure on our players and they need to be able to show that they can deal with that. Dan, what's the precise mathematical probability that we win our remaining home game? Well, it depends how likely each one is. For the, for the be- benefit, if that's the right word of our listeners, this was a, a pub conversation before the game, which started with me making the bold prediction that we will win our remaining home games, all of them, and Dan then getting his calculator out to tell me that that's not how probability works. Di. To prove the football doesn't work like that, because Forest Green, Forest Green don't have zero points away from home. And then our maths teacher friend turned up and agreed with me. So that was that was how that ended. He said it was the most likely scenario. He didn't say it was likely. Sam, I feel like you wanted to jump in there. Uh, yeah, I just think... I, well, I do think we change a different formation, not necessarily for the reason he said... I've forgotten the list of names, sorry, that, that he said. Um, but because I think that we, when we've done best in a way against, certainly against the very best teams in the league, is when we have tried to control the game. And I think, to me, that boils down to having an extra man in midfield. Look, 3-4-3 was the formation we played for the first half of the season. And I'm not going to say it was bad because it allowed us to really dominate games, certainly home games. But I think when what you kind of gain from 3-4-3 is overloading the attacking areas. You basically have three fours. You have one central striker and two inside forwards. What you perhaps lose from that is the aspect of having control of the midfield because you only have two CMs. I think what we need to do is, is trade off that overloading of the penalty box that 3-4-3 um, brings us and and trade that for the extra man in midfield for the big away game. Like the Ipswich game, for example, we, we were actually excellent for the first hour under 3-5-2. We then subbed off Danny Mayer, who, look, I don't think was having an amazing game, but who was the key to making that 3-5-2 work and he was carrying the ball from midfield to attack. We then went to 3-4-3 at Ipswich and we and that was our considerably worst spell of that game. And then we equalised after going back to 3-5-2. So I, I, I am a little frustrated that, that we keep playing 3-4-3 away against the very best teams. But I guess that's going to be a hypothetical debate now because we're not playing any more very big teams for the remainder of the, well, certainly the regular season. Obviously, we've got Bolton in the, in the uh, Pizza Cup final and who knows who we could end up playing in the playoffs. But... But yeah, I, I think it's been a mistake 
to be honest. And not that Stewie makes many mistakes, or not that Stewie does either, but it's been a um, it's been a mistake to play three four three as often as we have in the big away games, in my opinion. Yeah, I think as well, when we switched up to the 4-2-3-1 against Derby as well, I just think we just started to look a bit more solid and I just don't see why that isn't an option away from home. Joe, any any ref watch this week? Not really, um, other than the fact I still can't believe their goal was disallowed early on. Um, anyone who has stood around me knows that at times I was getting a little bit frustrated with the referee, but that's just because I needed something to shout about, really. But no, have decent performance from a referee. So there's a little shock for our listeners. Big fan of Mumba's uh, double handball. He's playing basketball on the second one, literally like dribbling the ball with his hand. And the, and the referee and the lines, uh, line officials didn't see either of them, which is quite remarkable. Let's move on to the Twitter questions as I've run out of mine. Lee Smith asks, 10 games left, five at home, five away. How many points do you think we need from each of these? We are very much two different sides, home and away. Personally, I think we need 15 from our 15 at home, meaning one or two away wins should be enough. I think we need 94 overall. I think look, Ipswich and Barnsley both look absolute juggernauts at the minute. They both look completely unstoppable, the form they're on. Uh, Ipswich have actually now got a win against a good team and reportedly played very well, which is concerning. Um, I think one of Ipswich or Barnsley will get to probably at least 93. So I think we need 94. So I think that leaves 20 more points. So if we win, if we do win all five of our home games, then that's five more. If we drop points in one, then that's maybe seven or eight away. It's doable. It's certainly doable. But I think it's going to go down to the last game, one way or the other. Three similar questions. And I had to highlight these three. There was there was loads about, namely Lonvike, let's be honest. Jack Jones asked, what do you guys think of Wilson Gillespie and Lonvike as a back three? Uh, personally, I don't think it works at all, shipping eight goals in two away games. Green Army 1989 asked, do you think if match fit, James Bolton should be starting on Saturday? Always looks solid when he comes on. And I'll couple that with Jack Leslie's question, which is, what does James Bolton have to do to get a start? Be fit and and have no injury issues, I guess. Uh, to be fair, I don't know what his exact fitness situation is at the moment. It's a little bit hard to tell because because he's clearly not like formally injured, right? Obviously, he features in games, but I think it's with him. It's just hard to tell from the outside whether he's a kind of Galloway case of someone who is just fragile and we have to manage minutes, or if it's a case of someone who is actually fully fit and raring to go and is not in the preferred three. Um, I think he is one of, if not the best, technical centre-backs that we have at the club. Um, personally, I think I, I've been really, really impressed with him. Mo- or, you know, the vast majority of the times that I've seen him play, albeit that's an unfortunately small sample size. I thought he was terrific against Derby when he came on for Wilson, I believe, who was on a yellow card. Um, you know, obviously we sung the praises of Matete and the forward players for turning that game around. I think Bolton was also excellent in the second half. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to see it. I think, I think Longvay, is in, in many ways an infuriating player. Uh, a little bit like a defensive Ryan Hardy for me. And, I don't, and infuriating sounds harsh, but it's, it's mainly just because I think they've got both got a lot of technical ability and, and I love a lot of what Lonvike does. And I think that, you know, as much as I've just sung the praises of Bolton, like, uh, you know, Wilson Gillespie Bolton back three, I think is potentially very, very solid, but like doesn't necessarily have someone who's going to, step out and kind of take risks and, and move the ball forward with 
kind of real inventiveness. I think, I think I'm definitely not saying none of the, you know, those players can't play the ball. I think they're all very good at playing the ball out from the back. But Lombike, you know, when he's on song, has this wonderful kind of rangy quality where he'll just kind of stride forward and, and pick a really nice pass. I think there was an occasion against Derby on Tuesday night where he got a little bit lucky that a ball sort of ricocheted as he was making a tackle in the box, but he then sort of used that luck to to bomb up the pitch, set us on a counter-attack, and I think we ended up winning a corner from a position of relative peril inside our own box. And I think he's terrific at doing that kind of thing, and he's clearly got a ton of natural ability. Also, and he is very young, of course, has mistakes in him. And I think Saturday was a, was a kind of typical Lombard game in many ways. I thought it, at times he looked really, really good, snapped into a couple of last-ditch tackles, played the ball out nicely from the back. At times he made some dreadful errors and there was one passenger play where he gave the ball away twice in quick succession and they probably should have scored, right? So I, th- I hope that we're playing, t- you know, not the very top teams in the league, obviously, in our run-in now and that he's going to be under less pressure defensively and maybe have more opportunity to move forward, in which case I certainly probably would expect him to to feature. But yeah, I, you know, you would not expect someone of his age to, to not have any errors in his game, of course, but I think there is always that kind of like undercurrent of worry even when he's playing otherwise well that there is going to be some, some kind of lapse of concentration or, or moment where he's overly confident maybe so yeah and I guess that's why I say it's infuriating just I think he's got the potential to be one of the best centre-backs in the league but but probably isn't just because of that sort of mistake that's inside him or two or three I'll give this next one to Joe do we fear Ipswich or Barnsley the most I fear Argo the most I've, I've said it every week now for the last two three weeks I, the only team I'm worried about right now is ourselves. And I, I'm not worried about us. Um, but you don't have to be a scientific genius to realise that performances away from home in particular are becoming a bit of an issue. Um, nobody has an issue with how we're playing at home, although it'd be nice if we stopped, um, you know, if we if we punish teams earlier in games, I think. That'd be my only criticism of the home games, really. Um but yeah, we, we have to address this away issue because it isn't going to be good enough. Um, we've been very, we've been, we've been solid enough away from home up until the last three games. I think it would be my assessment of it because we up until, you know, we'd only lost, well, we'd only lost two on the road up until the 4th of February. Now we've lost three in a row on the road. Well, we, we did um, have Oxford in that as well. The Oxford win we had in the middle of that as well, but three out of four. Well, three meaningful away games in a row then. Let me put it that way. We have three away games in a row where we were against teams up and around us and we lost all three of them. And if truth be told, bar, what, a 45-minute spell Saturday, a 30-minute spell at Hillsborough and bits and bobs here or there at Peterborough, we weren't really in the games. Um, and that for me is a bit of a concern. Um, but I would counteract that. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit um, in saying that now we don't have to play anyone away from home who's around us, which is going to be a big help. But teams don't fear us when we go away. That's my concern. And it has to be addressed quickly. And we our next away game is to a place that we all have extremely good memories of, I'm sure, in the Crown Ground at Accrington Stanley. And, you know, that leaves me with quite a bit of trepidation, if truth be told. I think we're in danger of spinning a narrative out of 
something that's kind of partial here. I mean, like... Go for it, John. Go on, because I can bite back at this. Go on. I think that, I think that the three games away games that Joe's mentioned are obviously against Sheffield Wednesday, um, Peterborough and Barnsley. So you've got by far the best team in the league. Barnsley, I think, who I think are in the top, definitely the top four best teams in the league. And Peterborough, who some weeks decide to turn up and some weeks don't. Uh, obviously, they got pasted by Cheltenham of all teams at home on, on Saturday. And I was sort of there screaming at... Um, you know, the presenterless final score saying, you know, why couldn't you play like this against us the other week? But but I think it was actually tied into something I said um, after the Peaceburg game on the podcast, which is they just play ridiculously open football. And, and we could have pasted them if a couple of things in that game had broken in a different way. But, but you know, it, is, it is just a place where you can go there and get beaten five or, or win by five. So I think that, I think that, you know, yeah, you've played, you've played three teams, you know, in and around the top six, two of whom are, definitely in the top four in the league and we'll definitely finish in the top four and one of them will finish top of the league by a mile at this rate um and and, and, and i think we're kind of building a, a narrative about our away form based on that what i guess i would say you know in terms of a big picture point is this last season when we missed out on the playoffs we were nowhere near good enough against the teams in the top six nowhere near i haven't actually done the calculation but a huge net negative in those games i worked it out and unless i'm wrong we've picked up a net 12 points on the other five teams in the top six this season, having now played them all twice. And none of those teams have picked up any net points over us because we beat them all at home. So Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday obviously turned us over at their places, which means that there was a net zero points uh, across those two games of the season. Neither team kind of took anything off the other one, but we've, we've taken three points net off Derby and Bolton. Um, uh, sorry, Derby and uh, sorry, uh, Bolton and Ipswich, I should say. And we've taken six points net, off of Derby. So that's a terrific record against those against those top teams in the league when you zoom out. Yeah, it's frustrating that those defeats at Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley have come in relatively quick succession. It's a shame that we maybe couldn't nick a winner at Bolton. But really, by and large, if you'd been offered that at the start of the season, you'd have been ecstatic about it. And I think it's... I'd be, I'd be very surprised if there were many other teams in the whole league who, ha- who can have as, you know, hold their hands up and say they've got as many net points on, on those teams in the top six. I, I get what John's getting at. I do. But in this case, I can't agree with it. Literally, Matt, how can you not agree with it? The, the facts are there. You can't argue with the, the facts. You've just presented them in front of us. But what you can argue is the fact that in those games against Barnsley and against Sheffield Wednesday for large parts of the game, we didn't compete. That's my big issue with it. If you want to be a top side, if you want to get promoted, you have to compete in every game. You can't just get away with it saying, oh, we competed at home because we beat everyone. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. Lovely. Brilliant. Great. But you've also got to go away to these clubs and prove to people you are a top side. Now, you and I know that on a certain podcast that will be released on a national scale tomorrow, the football club is going to get bashed for the performance that we put in. And it's going to be all praise Barnsley. Michael Duff is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, And that's because we are going to these clubs and we are not competing for enough of the game to be, to get anything out of the game. We didn't deserve anything out of yesterday. And on the balance, we probably, you could argue maybe we deserved a point at Sheffield Wednesday at a push. I personally thought they were very good value for their one nil win. But, that that's my big gripe with with everyone defending our away form. I'd just like to add that our podcast is also available at national scale. 
can I just interject quickly? Because as far as I can tell, just from a very, very quick look at their fixtures, Sheffield Wednesday have played six games this season against um, other sides in the top six, as far as I can see. I may be missing a couple out and have a net minus three from those games. We have a net plus 12 from 10 games against the top six. Sheffield Wednesday, the team that are running away at the top of the league, having net, so far, net minus three in the fixtures. Who's higher in the table? They are, but it's but, but it's but the point you're making that we have to go away to those top clubs and win, otherwise we are hopeless and everyone's going to say we're rubbish. No, 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 it's just, no, no, it's just no. not true. It's, it's about it's about. And I now, never we've said got, we've got an opportunity to be more ruthless against the lower place sides in the league, which is what is going to get no. most of what, which I've always said. You're you're spinning you're spinning words there. I never said we had to go away to these sides and win. I said we had to go away to these sides and compete in games. And for large parts of the games against Sheffield Wednesday and in particular yesterday, we did not compete. You can't just spin my words like that, John. Like, I accept what you're saying. Sheffield Wednesday are three points clear of us. They are clearly a better side than us. I'm not denying they're a better side than us. They, they are a better side than us. What I'm saying is that they're a better side than us based on a season that involves you playing every single team in the league twice. And it's not our, our record against the top six is really, really good on balance. And it's, it's you know, it's... um. It's yeah, it's 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 really and, and based on our home. It's less impressive than ours. I'm just saying it, it's not these these games against you know just these really good sides away from home and how competitive we are or not. I don't think it's really here nor there, honestly. In terms of like, I think I think you can weave a narrative out of it that makes it sound like this kind of be all and end all thing. And, and I think we just need to take a much you know a broader look at the bigger picture. Is all I'm is all I'm saying. Yeah, but the the bigger picture is a very good picture to look at. We are in a very strong position in the division. We have a very good points tally at this stage of the year. We have a very good ho- we have the best home record in all four leagues in English football. No one's denying that. And yes, we are fourth in the away table this year. And you can't disagree with that either. But the fact of the matter is, right now, in these big games away from home, we are struggling to get the job done to get points to bring home. Are we going to be able to maintain this level that we're performing at home away when we go to these tougher sides who are fighting for their bloody lives to stay in the division? You'd like to think that we can, but are we? did we show enough in that last half hour yesterday to suggest that we could go to Accrington in a battle and get a d- result? Did, did we show enough at Oxford to suggest that we can go away to a side that are in the lower nether reaches of the table and, and grind out an efficient win? Yeah, we did. You can look at... We you went know, to a dreadful to Oxford game. side. Yeah, and Barnsley are really, really good. I don't think there's any shame in going they're there. Not, well, they're in a good run of form, but they're not any better than Sheffield Wednesday or Ipswich. I would just inject, I think whilst John is correct in the point that Accrington are close to, the, to their ability level than Oxford, I just feel that there are some vibes that go beyond pure league position. And I also very much see Joe's point that a cold, possibly rainy, you know, Tuesday night at Accrington is something that, uh, where they might get up and in our faces a bit in that sort of small, compact ground. It is possibly more psychologically intimidating going to Oxford, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. I do broadly agree with Joe um, on this, that the, that the, that the, that the drop-off, certainly in performance away from home, ha- has been pretty concerning um, to, to, to a large extent. Um, look, obviously our away form has not been bad. I think we, we probably can all agree on that. But the, the drop-off in performance, where, whereby we've just had games where we've just not thrown the towel in, but games where, where we've just sort of played within ourselves a bit and, and not not shown our best selves we really needed to is a is a is a broad trend and yes it has been against good teams but um 
I, I think with Oxford, it isn't just a case that we played as we normally did, but just happened to be against the worst team. I think we genuinely did play better that night ourselves as well. I, I, as much as that sounds like a you know contrived coincidence, I think that is just the case that we just happened to play better rather than purely against the worst team. So if we go to Accrington and play like we did at Oxford, yes, I think we'll win the game. If we go to Accrington and play like we did yesterday, I think it could be a frustrating draw or worse. I don't know. I, I, w- I would just like to issue one correction. I should say I missed tallied up the Sheffield. I missed one of Sheffield Wednesday's games against another one of the um, the top six. I think if they have a zero, like a completely flat zero net points from their game so far against other members of the top six, and they still have to play, I think, three games against against members of the top six. The point I'm trying to make is not is is very simply that we're going to go into those remaining games in the season against the lower ranked teams. And those games are going to be individual battles. I'm not trying to say because of our performance at means we will win at Accrington. I, I understand that every game has different vibes and all the rest of it. I'm just, I'm just going to say, it, it's just, just to say that we've done really well against, against those teams in and around us. And now we've got to go and just do the job against the teams lower down. I would sincerely and, and, and briefly say to wrap up this point, and I'm sure we've tortured it for long enough now. The one final insight I would give is that I think if there is any one trend that's going to cost us promotion, it's certainly not the home form, which is almost flawless. And it's not the form against the big six. It's the annoying, frustrating draws at mid to lower League One sides. Again, the loss at Fleetwood, the loss at Charlton, the draws to Bristol Rovers, Lincoln. Adrian bloody Mariapa. Yes, him as well, Burton and Cambridge. Those are the six games that are for me that are standing out. That's what, if anything, will, will cost us most. You can't argue with net 12 against the big six. You can't argue with the home form in general. It's those, it was those annoying bloody four draws in a row Rovers, Lincoln, Burton, Cambridge. Moving on before we need another ad break, uh, which I'm sure nobody wants. Last Twitter question. I'll give it to you, Dan, as you've been sitting there patiently. Uh, it comes from our own James Kerno, who says, which one of you would be the best to take over for match of the day? Oh, blimey. Um, well, I, I think we'd all do we'd all do a fine job, wouldn't we? You know, kind of sit there. Get paid 1.3 million, make a, an amusing pun that has Shearer and Ricey laughing at the start of every week. I'm sounding like a Lineker bash here, aren't I? I, I you know, um, I think we'd all do a, a fine job of of holding it down and thoroughly annoying the fans of Bournemouth or Wolves or whoever is on uh, selected to be on the final game. And they have to wait till half eleven to watch their team. We've managed to lose any real points cushion we've previously had over Ipswich, meaning the weekend now becomes increasingly important. Fortunately, we're back home up against fully-fledged eco-warrior Duncan Ferguson's Forest Green side at home park. Um, the earth is warming up, isn't it, John? It is. And uh, Sam, if Forest Green beat us on Saturday, what will be the uh, points gain between the two sides over the course of the season? It will be net zero, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, very good. The earth is warming up and, um, you know, I'm going to try eating more of that vegan. I'm going to try eating more of that vegan uh, food. Um, like chips. Yeah. Oh, ch- chips are vegan. Yeah. I thought about that. Um, this is, yeah, for, for those who are not, don't obsessively follow the football league. This was uh, Duncan Ferguson, the man, the, the hard man, uh, former Everton striker turned manager of touchy feely eco warriors, Forest Green. Um, being unveiled and chowing down on a vegan burger, I believe, and then saying he'd never eaten vegan food before. And then the journalist said, what about chips? And he acknowledged that chips were vegan. Uh, it's a very entertaining video uh, that I would urge you to look up. Of course, it's not very entertaining watching at the moment if you're a Forest Green fan, because um, although there's some talk of their performances having improved under him, their results are still absolutely dreadful and they are plummeting back to lead two, I think. He's no Rob Edwards, is he, Sam? 
Absolutely not. No, doing a fantastic job at Luton after being harshly sacked by Watford, in my opinion. So we don't see Forest Green causing us any problems this weekend? No. Uh, I would to kind of echo Joe's words earlier, paraphrase Joe's words. Um, it will be our, if, if, if it'll be our goal that potentially causes the most danger of anyone. But no, I, I don't think that will happen. I, I am com- if I'm confident of one thing, I'm confident that we can that we can bounce back from a bad defeat. We did it after the Charlton, the Barnsley, uh, sorry, the Charlton and the Peterborough losses. I'm sure we could do it after the Barnsley loss as well. Uh, and of course, after the Grimsby loss, we we then um, went on a slightly worse run. But then there were no home games really in, in that run. Well, actually, there was the Port Vale game. I'm just waffling now. But yeah, I think we'll come back and win. I think we've actually been very consistent this season in the games that we've been caused trouble in, um, which have been away games against top sides in the league, particularly recently, as we've just discussed at very great length. And then I think games against teams that are stodgy, solid, probably like put men behind the ball are quite disciplined. I'm thinking of the Fleetwood game in particular, Fleetwood games, I guess, plural. I just don't think Forest Green at home has any of the ingredients of a game that we're going to slip up in at all. Um, even Port Vale at home, where we lost, it was a huge, huge shock, right? Like, Port Vale and no mugs, they're a good side. Um, Forest Green Rovers are comfortably the worst side in the league. They're, they're a team that I was not massively convinced with coming up last season because I think they had a huge wobble towards the end. And then they lost all their best players. Um, you know, they're incredibly open. I think they aren't good enough to be playing at this level, frankly. And, and yeah. You know, it would be beyond a shock if we didn't get three points out of this game. It would be an inquest, inquest territory, in my view. Obviously, the game sees a return for Jordan Garrick uh, back in green, but a different green back at home park. So it'll be good to see how he's getting on. There was a question in there about Robbie Savage, a heartwarming clip uh, celebrating his son's goal. But any other business? Obviously, in the week, we announced that Michael Cooper has signed a one-year extension. Incredibly clever for the club here, right? Much like the Galloway situation in, in, in securing assets. Who wants to start with a gushing praise of Michael Cooper and the club? Terrific news, isn't it? Um, our, our biggest asset in terms of players at the minute. Um, and to get him on another another year deal is is fantastic. Um his ceiling certainly looks to be the level above uh, the one that we're at now, if not two levels above. Um, but as long as we can, for the longer we can keep him in, in Argyle's green, the better um, for us. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to probably will have to be next season now, but I look forward to seeing him um, playing for us again and pulling off some bloody magnificent saves like he likes to do. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is it, it it is mutually beneficial. I think what what I said a few weeks ago about the, you know the way I could see it hopefully playing out was that we would agree a one year extension to kind of allow a bit of benefit for both parties to obviously allow us not to lose him on a free transfer the summer after and to allow him the job security of knowing that um, he he's not going to be out of contract that if an injury reoccurs or whatever he's got that bit more security. So I think it is beneficial to both parties. Um, don't get me wrong, I think his agent has probably probably insisted on there being a, a mutually agreeable buyout clause as part of the new terms. But if he has, that's just football. Um, obviously, we, we're, we're probably doing this expecting him to be sold on next summer unless we go up. And maybe even if we do go up, uh, expecting him to be sold in the summer of 2024 so that we don't then lose him for nothing at the end of his contract. But if that is the case, then um, then, 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 then that's fair enough. He, he, he would have then done 
you know, nearly nearly seven years in and around the squad. And I think even the most ardent Argyle fans would then say that if he's still playing to anything like the level he's been playing at, he would then have absolutely would have earned the right to go and, and see if he could push himself on. So, but we'll see what happens. Who knows? Sam has just managed to, he's waving goodbye somebody who has literally just signed a new contract this week, which is incredibly impressive. So well <laughs> I think that's a bit of a mischaracterization, personally, but there we go. We've also failed to mention the £21 million investment in Denport with a club and board managing to find £18.7 million down the back of the sofa. A huge stride being made on and off the pitch to slowly ensure we are championship ready. What does this deal mean for the club and for the city as a whole? Did the club find £18 million or has the club found £11 million and £7 million coming through funding externally? Or have I misquoted the announcement in midweek? Don't, don't worry about the figures. Worry more about the, the pitches and the luscious green grass that Denport's going to get. I have every right to bloody worry about the figures because the football club are forking out £11 million on this bloody site that's owned by the council. I'm not trying to turn a negative into a positive because, or from a positive to a negative, whatever way. It's a brilliant thing for the city. No one disagrees with that. I think. There's a lot of people who will benefit from the work that's going to go on on Brickfields, namely the academy, namely the ladies set up, and the people who are going to be hired to redevelop the site, correct? Um, and Albion are going to be better off with this development as well. Obviously, they get a new training. Do they get a new training pitch as well as, a, I presume, a new surface down at Brickfields as well? Um, I'm intrigued to see the domed 3D, 3G surface. That could be quite interesting um that's going to have a structure over the top of it this is some big investment that the football club's putting in isn't it you've got the the um takeover of goals you've got 11 million pound coming from the football club to go into brickfields it's it's a significant investment and it's not a negative um i may have sounded negative about it at the start i think it shows real ambition not just from our fantastic owner Mr. Hallett or Mr. and Mrs. Hallett, um, but also from our American stakeholders, Argyle Green, who I wouldn't be surprised to find aren't significantly behind this um, investment from the football club. Um, but yeah, you, you can't really find a negative behind it. I don't think it, it benefits a lot of people. My only issue is, is that it's a site owned by the council and yet for a £21 million investment, they're only putting in £3 million, but they're then going to be renting it to a load of people afterwards and making all the money off it, um, which is a little bit peculiar to me, but it's obviously a win-win for those that sit in the ivory towers of Plymouth City Council. Just to quote the figures in the press release, it's a £21 million project to rejuvenate the underutilised site in Denport. Uh, part of the plans, Argo will provide the £11 million investment towards the project for existing shareholders, with £7.3 million coming from the Argo Community Trust, by the way of a sports and community development f grant funding. The remaining investment will be provided by Plymouth City Council, funded by savings made on the site by handling management responsibility to Argo. So I assume no money there from the other sports clubs in, in that's that that's wonderful isn't it that the city council are going to spend three million pound on a 21 million pound development of their own site 
That is wonderful work from our fantastic council here in the city. I'll, I'll just shift it slightly away from the, I'm sure, very legitimate debates about, about funding, which then I think it shows uh, serious uh, drive and ambition to move us to eventually becoming the next category up of academy. I think it shows the kind of innovative thinking that we need for a club that aren't going to drop millions and millions on players. We need to think what can we do instead to, 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 do, to do things better. And I think to have an uh, academy that eventually looks to play against the other best academy sides in the country in the under-21s leagues, rather than what we play now, which is sort of mostly against local sides. And when players hit the level of 18, they then generally uh, are limited to the games, have to go out on loan, or, or they have to actually force their way into the first team. So to be able to break away from that situation, to have that level of academy whereby players between the ages of 18 and 21 get that real transitional experience, no matter how it's funded, for me, it, it's fantastic. And I think it shows the club really stepping in the right direction that we can hopefully utilise the vast swathes of the southwest that Argyle have available to them. And I think that's a really good thing. And, and I, for one, am looking forward to seeing Plymouth Argyle under-21s in Pizza Cup action in 10 years' time and cheering them all the way to Wembley. Sure John, John, don't be such a bloody wind-up merchant for once. Let's just debate it seriously. Um, do we fancy an end-of-pod game? I'm going to give you a list of five players and you just have to tell me where they are. Yeah, go on. Just let's make it quick. And I feel like I'm growing a bloody beard here with this podcast. Let's, let's make it quick. The first one is Matthew Kennedy. St. Johnston. Aberdeen. Aberdeen, correct. Jake Jervis. HJK. Uh, HJK Helsinki. No, he's not anymore. Is he in Cyprus? No. East Bengal. Yeah, I was going to say, is he in India? Yeah. Remy Matthews. Is he St. Johnston? Oh, oh. Crystal Palace. Is he St. Johnston? Yeah. Yeah. I knew he'd gone there. Craig Noon. Brisbane Raw. No, Mel- Melbourne. Newcastle Jets, is it? One of them. Is it, is it, is it MacArthur FC? It's MacArthur FC. Uh, as you'll know from listening to our bonus pod of our friends down under. And uh, Yannick Balassi. Fenerbahce? It's somewhere in that. It's somewhere in Turkey. I know that. Um, uh, oh, crikey! Is it uh, Sivaspor? Might be. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but Rizaspor rise. Wouldn't yeah. have got it. Wouldn't have got it. I don't like this game. I think that would do for the week anyway. Incredibly long pod. Thanks for it. Thanks, guys. Thank you all. Au revoir. Cheers. Thanks, Aaron. With that brings a close to another Green and White pod brought to you by Argyle Life. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like on Facebook and keep up to date with all things Argyle by checking out www.argyle.life. As always with all listens, old and new, we really appreciate if you could leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Every rating helps us beat that algorithm. See you next week. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.